What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today we've got part two of our episode with Malene Dastrup. Teams in which, where they felt um, pressure and they didn't feel like they were in an environment that was safe or welcoming, they didn't have a lot of innovation. But teams where they felt safe to fail and they felt like a diversity of opinion was welcomed, those were the teams that had the most innovation. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Malene, when we were leaving off um, on our last episode, we'd covered Effect.org a little bit and the way you guys are changing the world and preventing child sex trafficking by building schools. We talked about, a bit about your job um, at G Suite with, for Google for all of North and South and Central America. And we were talking about this idea specifically in business development of relating to people and actually listening to them instead of just cramming our message down their throat. And uh, you had a pretty impressive number at a former job of yours with an 80% close ratio. Um, Can you talk about any of the ways that you've brought that experience to Google and, and experiments that you've run or things that you've done that worked out that you feel like this relating to people was the key? Yeah. Uh, one thing I mentioned already was uh, changing our sales approach from just driving in like, this is the product we want to sell you. Let's talk feature, 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 feature to making the shift in the way that we approached our customers and being more consultants and talking about their business and learning what their needs were and then figuring out how our product fit into their longer term strategy. So that, that was one of the changes and the experiments that we've run. And we've had a lot of success with that. Another experiment that we ran that we found really successful was actually targeting our customers based off of uh, their adoption criteria or maybe the products they already had and segmenting them into groups. 
So rather than just reaching out to any customer willy-nilly and trying to sell them a product, actually seeing, well, what are they using? Is that because if they're using Hangouts, for example, could that potentially mean that they would be interested in using Chromebox for meetings, which is our video conferencing solution? And getting more specific and targeted and coming in with a conversation starter, but still being open to listen to what they were already using and if this really could be a better solution. That that also became a really big game changer for us. Interesting. Well, um, same subject, but shifting gears uh, at effect.org. Um, you know, if people want to go make a difference and, and they want to help run a campaign, you know, create a campaign or something like this, um, how do you feel like, because I feel like what you guys have got is kind of awesome. It's like you got some of the best parts of Charity Water. You got some of the best parts of Donors Choose. Um, Can you talk about any ways that this kind of relating to humans has helped you guys create effect.org the way you have? Yeah, actually, some of the stuff that we've been working on over the past year has really been around relating to humans. Um, We started doing these hackathons, and I'd love to explain to you a little bit more about how we got started. Yeah, please. So we, I was sitting around with the CEO and Dan, my co-founder, and we were just, I had been working at Google. I had taken a board seat and we realized, you know, there were all of these really amazing Googlers and they really cared about human trafficking. Like people like Google, that's, I think across the world, when people learn about human trafficking, yourself included, it's hard to ignore it. It's hard to not do anything, but a lot of people just don't know how to do anything. So we were thinking, you know, what would happen if we could take 20 of the smartest people in the world, which we think Google employs. Yes, we think we're some of the smartest people in the world (laughs) to to a different country and force them to think about an issue like human trafficking for a week and then give them three days just to hack into that issue and like build solutions. What could they come up with? And so we tested it out. We actually took a team of uh, half were Salesforce employees, half were Google employees. And we took them to Nepal and we introduced them to uh, three organizations in Nepal that work in human trafficking. And some are working in prevention. Some are working in recovery. We let them meet survivors, play with children who had been rescued, talk with lawyers, talk with government officials to get a, a, as good of an understanding as you can get in four days around human trafficking and especially human trafficking in Nepal and India. And then we did. We gave them three days to hack into that and to see what they could come up with. And they, did, they partnered with some of the local Nepali engineers as well. And some of the projects they came out with were really amazing. Some of them were huge in, in thoughts and, and weren't necessarily executable in a three-day period, but um, things that are still, are still getting worked on today. And our thoughts were, you know, even three days isn't really a long time to be able to build a solution that's going to change the world. But what can change the world is giving people exposure to an issue and having them meet people who had actually been trafficked and having them build emotional connections. And maybe they won't build a solution in this one week, but maybe five years down the road, they'll be talking to someone else who is also interested in this and, and an idea will click and they'll be the ones to make the solution. Um, and you never know what, what ideas can be generated when people have had a powerful experience um, in, in some of these like really tear-jerking issues like human trafficking. It's interesting, this idea of how human connection both gives us better ideas, but also like 
we like to think we're so rational, but for some reason, like relationship makes us want to do something more, even if all the rest of the facts are the same. Like before the episode, we were talking about how it randomly we just figured out that you knew my cousin, Greg Wilson, and my aunt, my aunt Bev taught you voice lessons back in the day. Right? <laughs> so I just figured out because I'm surfing your website that uh, your co-founder, Casey, I met him after they'd done their first round of shooting in India, like, I don't know, two years ago or something down at Impact Hub. Oh, wow. Yeah, small world. <laughs> yeah, I did not make this connection at all that, that, that this is the same organization. Um, oh, so funny. But uh, this idea of, you know, we've been talking about relating to humans and innovation. You know, I think if you had told most people, most entrepreneurs, most corporate innovators, hey, we're going to get people from Salesforce together and Google together, and we're going to talk about what we can fix in Nepal, Right. Everybody would have told you it's a great idea, but actually taking them there is like, that's so like IDEO, Stanford D school, like observe in person innovation principle. Like it seems like that had to be so much better than having got them in a conference room for three hours. Oh, definitely. I mean, and I think, I think the biggest thing is, okay, so it's a few things. Focus, like how, giving them time to really just focus on one thing where everything they're thinking about is that one thing. So there's a bit of a shock factor, also focus factor. And then the other thing is is really what we were talking about before is building that human connection. Them sitting in a conference room in Mountain View talking about human trafficking, that's one thing and it could draw some emotion, but them actually speaking to children who have been trafficked and who lived in brothels for six months or several years and are now in the recovery stages, that is that there's just such a big difference. And the work that they're going to do is obviously going to have a lot more passion behind it. And, and creativity will, will, will spew out of that passion. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was working on this issue for like five or six years before I went on this trip to Nicaragua and spent a week in an aftercare facility. And it was like, it was like, I got completely recommitted to the issue all over again, having spent time with these kids who were like, they're just like my kids. And, Mm -hmm. uh, Anyways, I think the expeditions you guys are doing is a genius thing with, you know, your other donors or anybody else to go on these expeditions. Um, and, and by the way, if, if anybody listening to this is interested, that's right on effect.org where you can see the expeditions and sign up and, and uh, check it all out. Um, yeah, we have eight more expeditions coming up in 2017. And they'll, we're doing two in Greece for refugees and we're doing some around human trafficking and still education and, and also um, earthquake to relief. So great. Lots coming. Well, well, listen, uh, you know, before the show, we talked for a minute about uh, the charity we started seven years ago, Child Rescue. Um, what did I mean, you're in this space. You guys are having success. You're getting uh, you're moving the needle. What advice would you have for us uh, in our work trying to attract more people to this cause? I think a big thing about human trafficking is really educating people. I think a lot of people just don't really know that it's it's real. And I remember growing up and hearing about prostitutes and just assuming that it was something they chose to do and thinking it was such a dirty thing and and um, that they were living such a, an awful, sinful life. And then realizing that that's not actually the case, like the majority of time, it's not by choice. But I didn't learn that until, you know, I was in my mid 20s that that most prostitutes aren't there, aren't there by choice. And I think sharing with people as much as you can and getting them involved and in thinking, not even involved in acting, but just even involved in thinking about human trafficking and meeting however you can to share those stories where they've, even if they can't meet them in person, videos or sharing media where people can feel that connection. Because you mentioned this before, but when you went to Nicaragua, you you were able to, to meet people down there who were really suffering. And 
you realize that these kids, they're just like your kids, you know, and, and the adults, like, they're just like you. They had different experiences in life that took them to somewhere else. But at, at the end of the day, like, we're all humans on this earth and we all came from the same place. And re- recognizing ourselves and others can be so moving. And that moves people to their checkbooks to donate. That moves people to their brains to think about solutions. That moves people to tell their friends about it. That, that's what moves people is, is really feeling that connection to the issue. Yeah. You know, um, so this theme we've been on for the episode of, of talking about, you know, how we, you know, how we relate to other humans, it can be such a magnet to things. You know, I think about this same issue, uh, a friend that we have in common, Scott Stonehawker, who's like one of the most fun, like possibly one of the most welcoming, happy people I've ever met in my life. Right. He's he yeah. uh, he built that facility over in Cambodia. Did he ever talk to you about that? Oh, I don't think I've talked to him about this. Before. Same, same. So he like he like rallied his family and all these people. And like, I, I think it was like 150 grand or something. I can't remember. But they went over and built a facility. It's this three level facility in Cambodia. And the basement is a school and, or no, the basement, I can't remember, but it <laughs> one level, I think it's the top level is a hotel for aid workers from foreign countries. And the main floor is the school. And then the housing is the, is the bottom level. And so these trafficking victims and, and other street kids or abused kids get to live here and they get an education, they get a place to live and they get to learn the trade of the hospi- hospitality, interest, hospitality industry for foreigners, which is, you know, obviously a big cash cow for Cambodia as a travel destination, these kind of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you think about like somebody like Scott with that level of magnetism, um, you and I have seen it in effect because we both like that guy. But um, people who think it's just about the facts or they get too logistics oriented, what do you think people are missing out by not learning from people like Scott? Well, I think they're missing out on a lot of the finer things of life. But really, and I think those finer things are are those, those relationships and those connections. When I think about the things that I find most valuable in life, most of them are related to to people and relationships. And I wouldn't consider myself like a crazy extrovert, uh, social people person necessarily. Uh, which Scott for sure is, right? <laughs> he definitely is. And I think we all have a lot to learn from people like Scott. And, and I've always thought of myself as a bit of an introvert, but I think we can force ourselves to do more because we have so much to give. There's so much that we have to give to get back. I think everyone listening to this podcast has been blessed in a lot of ways and are more blessed than most, at least 50% of the humans on the earth. And we can share that with each other and we can share that with, with others who, who are less fortunate. And I think that's fantastic that Scott has, has created this facility at same, same. That's really an amazing story. Yeah, actually, um, Lucky guy got his move to France. I haven't hardly talked to him since they've been oh, over there. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. With into it. So I got to, <laughs> this is just, I'm just, I'm stalking him on Facebook as we're talking. I'm like, I got to get him on the show to come talk about same, same and everything they've learned with that facility and kind of this holistic model. Because, you know, unlike most of us running charities out begging for money to keep it alive, the hotel business helps pay for that facility and the, you know, cont- continuing education and safety of those kids. I think it's a, a genius sustainability hack there. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Well, um, another thing we like to ask is people, whether it's book recommendations or conferences or classes or whatever, um, what's what's a source of information that you feel like is either a really high impact book in your life or books 
or or something that you feel like innovators and corporate leaders out there should be reading, listening to, something like that? Yeah. Uh, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and unfortunately, I listen to more podcasts than I actually read. Um, even though I love reading, it's just hard to find time. Podcasts are a little bit easier. Which ones do you like? All the normal ones, This American Life. Um, I loved Serial. I thought that was so great at teaching us about some, teaching me about things that I had never learned about in the past. Um, I love Radio Lab. I also really loved. Oh, the name's escaping me. It was the one on the Supreme Court that the people from Radio Lab did. Can't more perfect. I think is what it was called. Mm. Yeah, that one was a great one. So, but all of these are. I think I love them because they they just share stories. I think that's what I love so much about podcasts is you get to hear different perspectives and different stories about things that you probably, I don't have a lot of exposure to, um, but to see how different people deal with different situations and, and see how these um, small things affect our economy in big ways that we, we maybe don't even notice. Yeah. I am. Um, I mean, for me, <laughs> I love any audio learning. Like I actually really like reading. I think I have so much ADHD though, that every time I sit down to read, I think, Oh, I could be getting work done right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Whereas like flying or commuting, you know, podcasts and audiobooks are like my go-to for sure. Um, well, um, thinking about Google and innovation, I, I feel like there's so many people that speculate from the outside. I mean, it's, you know, one of the most innovative firms in the world have come out with these products that are like, I, I feel like beholden to, like I couldn't survive if they shut down. Right. Um, in your opinion, being on the inside now, um, what are some of the what are some of the innovation principles that you feel like Google does better than other firms? Or you know, compared to all the speculation from the outside, being on the inside, what are some of the reasons that you think they they just keep coming out with stuff that is so amazingly useful that people flock to it? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and that's a question that Google's done a lot of research on this, even internally. You know, they're constantly researching everything. Um, I feel like I'm a part of a million experiments all at the same time. And you never know when you're in an experiment or not. But um, one one thing that they recently released some information on was on team dynamics and how team dynamics affected innovation and creativity. So what the study showed that on is, it, teams, is this a public study or an internal one? It's a public study. I can try and find it and send it to you. I'm, I'm pretty sure they published, uh, they made this oh, public. Oh, great. We'll put it on the show notes. If anybody wants to come to uh, iCollective.com, uh, we'll, we'll post it there. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, try and take it out and send it to you. <laughs> I don't cool. even know my own website address. It's iCollective.co. <laughs> come to Moline's episode on iCollective.co. Sorry. No worries. So what they uncovered was that teams in which where they felt um, pressure and they didn't feel like they were in an environment that was safe or welcoming, they didn't have a lot of innovation. And even there are teams like that at Google. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a massive company, right? But teams where they felt safe to fail and they felt like a diversity of opinion was welcomed, those were the teams that had the most innovation. And I have definitely seen that at Google. You know, you talk about all the amazing products that Google has released to the market. We have, I think, uh, seven products right now that have over a billion users, which is a lot. Um, but we have so many products that we release and fail, like so many products. And it's it's just kind of funny. It's like an inside joke where you have, I have a lot of friends that are engineers that work on these products and you're just like, really, do we need another messaging app? And they all fail, you know, like 90% of them will fail and they'll be put on a different team in a year. But that's kind of the point is like, 
let's come up with something new. Let's come up with new ideas. Let's test it out. Let's get it to market as fast as we can. Let's test it with as many users as possible. And if it doesn't take, then it doesn't take. But that's the only way you're going to know what does take is by putting something out there and getting people to use it. And I think the reason why Google has been able to create so many products with over a billion users and so many products that are truly life-changing is because they have this environment where it's okay to fail. And it's understandable. No one's going to, we'll, we'll give you a big hug, a slap on the back, we'll cry with you, but we're not going to fire you if you fail. And you know, that's something I've respected so much on my own team is, is having that flexibility. I, I love it though. I guess, um, I feel like the whole country pays so much lip service to that idea. Um, but that part of the world where you live right now actually lives it. Like I, I got to take this, uh, I was taking some executive education at Stanford last year, year or so ago. Um, at the, at the GSB. And we had so many professors talk about that and how like, to the point of they even have MBA students, uh, making up fake failures they didn't actually have, Oh gosh, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. But I thought, I guess for me, you know, like this is business number 12 and basically like two of them have done super well and the other 10 have been like total failures. Right. And not that I didn't learn stuff along the way and failure doesn't have as much of a negative connotation for me. Like I think people who are worried I'm too feeling too like shameful about it. They're like, Jess, it's not a failure. It's just a learning experience. <laughs> and I was like, no, it was a learning experience I, <laughs> when I failed. Um, but it is like, I don't know. It's almost like in the air out there. Like there's such a cultural embracing of that um, where they actually mean it. Like we actually don't think less of you because you tried something that doesn't work. And it sounds like, you know, you feel that way at at your work. Um, It's a very liberating feeling. And I'll tell you, I've definitely had projects and lots of experiments that, that didn't go over well. There was one project we worked on for a full year and just tried it so many times and couldn't get it to move any results. And so we axed it. And it was something that I put so much time into. But like, why keep doing something that's not going to work? But how are you going to know if it's not going to work if you don't just try it? You know, I think it's really important to embrace that possibility. Never feels good to fail. Never feels good to see all of your hard work be washed down the drain. But it also doesn't feel good to be working on something and pounding your head against a wall that's never going to be successful. Yeah. But I can see how that environment invites it. You know, like, I feel like I am, you know, in most crowds, I am like kind of apologizing for my failures because they're like, they so drastically outweigh my successes, even though the successes were, they were big in number, you know, (laughs) they had a high volume per success. I just don't have a high volume of successes. Right. And uh, I just remember going to those classes and feeling like, these are my people. Like I, I called my wife. I was like, do I have to come home? Can we just stay here? You know, They are your people. Come fail with us right? in California. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so for other people who maybe they come from a bureaucracy or they come from, you know, like I spent a lot of years in finance and uh, there is very much the, you know, cardboard cutout version of ourselves that we want to believe, everybody to believe where – uh, not only am I smart and rich, uh, I was born this way. In fact, I, I, I know of that guy that made a mistake once, but that wasn't me kind of thing, you know, and there's, there's so much, um, image management going on in society. Um, 
If you had advice for people who come from some eat their young bureaucracy or places where it's not like this and a leader wants to become more like this, knowing that they don't make decisions for the rest of the organization, they only make decisions for their team. Um, it's one thing to say, let people do it versus actually like putting that into practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind, do you have any ideas about baby steps that managers and leaders can take for, for the group that they have jurisdiction of? Yeah, I think maybe one suggestion is to to do experiments. So maybe it's not a huge project, a full-fledged thing, but position. It's A lot of this is about managing expectations and, and positioning things in the right way. If you position it as, hey, we have this new go-to-market strategy and we're going to do this huge launch and then you fail, that's an expectation that people probably expected you to have done your homework before doing that. But maybe positioning things to your manager or as a manager, positioning it to your team as, hey, we want to run this like micro experiment and we don't know if it's going to be successful. Talking about that openly up front and making sure everyone is on board with that agenda. So everyone is aware, hey, this may not be successful. We want to test it out. We you- want to try something new. That, that could open the doors. Just having that open communication and that open perspective could open the doors to, to creativity on a micro level. You know, I think that's kind of genius. You know, I think people could have the fear, well, if I tell them that, they may not give me the money to try it at all, right? Or the time to try it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like inherent in what you're saying is this idea of like, no, we're going to we're gonna do it cheap enough and quick enough that it, we don't take the company down if, in fact, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, get scrappy. We are very scrappy. I mean, we had three people managing all of the accounts for the Americas. That is very scrappy. <laughs> Millions and millions of accounts, huh? Yeah, and yeah. millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's okay to be scrappy. That's that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. Huh. Well, um, you know, we should probably wrap up the episode here, even though I feel like we could do like you know <laughs> three more episodes like this right now. Um, <laughs> besides people going to effect.org um, and looking at ways to get involved and and helping the schools or going on expeditions, running their own campaign themselves, anything like that. Um, any Anything else that you would recommend for people? I would recommend that people figure out what you're passionate about. And I know that's such a unicorn thing to say. I really understand that it's a really unicorn thing. But like, find out what you care about and what, what matters to you. And if, and if you don't care about anything right now, fake it. Like, just decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to choose this thing and I'm going to fake that I like it for a little bit and just see if I end up liking it in the end. But I I think that humans are happier when we're creating something and when we feel like we're adding value and when we're making a difference. And so find something that, and it could be a social cause, it could be something in your work, it could be your family, just find something that you feel makes you passionate and create something around that. It could be something really small. It could be something tiny. It could be a drawing, but just it could be something really big, like a whole entire company or a nonprofit like Scott or a big building like Scott did in Africa. But but figure out what that is for you and just do it. We have so many excuses and we never have enough time, but you can make time for the things that you're passionate about. And when you do that, I truly believe that that's where we're happier. Love it. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us and for all your good advice. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jess. It was really great being on the show. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. 
Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.